0: Painted Arrow Podcast, committed to taking you beyond the pursuit. Already, howdy, and welcome, folks, to another episode of the Painted Arrow Podcast. We have a very special guest today, Aaron Olson with Next Step Outdoors, and uh, Aaron. I just actually looked before we got on the call here. What what do you think the last time that uh, you, you were on the podcast? So th- this is your second appearance, but like, what what do you think that day and year was that we uh, recorded last?
1: I would imagine probably about two years ago, about this time of year.
0: Wow, you're actually really good. It's 2020, February. I think it was second, was what it said, but
1: February second.
0: That's, that's a long time ago.
1: I remember you sitting on my couch with your mustache, petting my dog, <laughs> <laughs> drinking some bourbon, if I remember right.
0: <laughs> that might have been, I, I started to listen to the first couple uh, sentences of that and it, uh, it it's really that's, wild to go back and just, just to listen. That's all you to, could take? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's wild, man. Come a long way since then, but you know, it's, it's cool to see that podcast has been going strong for at least, you know, over, over two years now. So that's, that's
1: wild. And we've been friends that long too. That's pretty miraculous.
0: I know. So if you guys are tuning in, um, Aaron Olson, I'll, I'll just I'll just spare you the the words. But we we have been friends for a while now. He and I both played basketball at the same university, um, growing up. And then we kind of, you know, I would say our friendship kind of more blossomed after college. We we both found a love in bow hunting, and once we kind of found out we were both into that, it's just kind of been, you know the glue of our relationship, I guess. Um, I don't know if you agree or disagree with that Aaron, but that's, that's kind of the way I see it. And it's, it's amazing to see how something such as like bow hunting and just uh, the passion for the outdoors and and just chasing whitetails is it's pretty infectious and it, it, it can bring people together. And I think that's definitely the case for Aaron and I.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more, man.
0: So you really grinded this year, Aaron. And you know, this is a time of year where, you know, it, it's a time of reflection for sure. I mean, I, I do all of my thinking, you know, it seems to be right around the new year. Like, what, what are you going to do next year? You know, what did I do wrong this year? You know, what, what can I improve upon? What, you know, what adjustments am I going to make? Habitat, all, all these things, right? Just these flood of emotions. And, you know, I think, you know, I, I know some of your, your story, Aaron, and, um, you know, you're a, a Michigan native. You're in Ohio now. Um, you, you, did a lot of -of out-of-state hunting this year. You're kind of evolving as, you know, your company next step. And I kind of just want to really get out of you today. Like, I think your story in the last year or so is, is what a lot of people may be going through, um, hunting, you know, bow hunting specifically is one of those things where you can work really hard. You can do everything right you can play the wind, you know, you, you can, you can be perfect and still come up short. Whereas in like, you know, sales or, you know, business or athletics, you know, you, you can, you can do a lot of those things, right. And you can expect a reward at the end. And I think, you know, hunting's one of those outliers where that's not the case. But again, Aaron, I think your story, like just this year, I kind of want to end with like your buck in Ohio, but kind of like, if you can remember last year, like 12 months ago, kind of coming out of the 2021 season, going into the 2022 year, like where were you like mentally as a bow hunter? Like where were you at, you know, you know, going into that year and specifically, obviously hunting, but like, where were you at, um, physically, mentally, like going into that hunting season?
1: Yeah. So 12 months ago, wrapping up last year, I guess, 2021 season, I had a terrible, terrible season. It was my worst season in my adult life. And there's several, I'll say, excuses for that. Uh, For one, I I moved twice, all within hunting season. I got COVID right at the beginning of the Ohio bow opener. And uh, a lot of those things factored together, um, left me kind of underprepared, especially compared to what I like to do normally scouting a lot in the preseason. I didn't really know where I was going to be living when fall rolled around. And then I basically had banked my out of state trips on going to North Dakota and Kansas. And I thought I was very naive and thought that just because they weren't Michigan, they were going to be a heck of a lot easier to hunt. And while it can be true that there's, states that are easier to hunt it's never easy and i'm always quickly humbled when i get on these out-of-state trips and realize that you're gonna have to grind um and i i basically ended last season without notching a single tag and uh what i've found is seasons like that where i get really really pissed off and um just hungry for more is what drives me to work a lot harder the next off season and that's kind of where i'm at right now i had a good season this year uh results wise although it was quite a grind but i'm sitting here seasons are wrapping up and i'm i'm hungry i'm ready to get back in the woods start working and put together some things for next year
0: so so back in the beginning of 2022 like where um you know i know you you do jump around to different states and things like that but like what, what different out of state hunts did you go on this year and just kind of walk through like the progression of that, you know, coming back into, um, I guess your home hunting grounds and what that looked like.
1: Definitely. Yeah. So for this fall, my, uh, my plans were to hunt Ohio. Obviously, um, I planned on going back to Michigan. I have a couple permission pieces there that, um, are pretty good deer hunting. There's, there's a ton of deer and it's, it's nice just to have a couple places to fall back on that. Deer are going to act like deer, you know, if you go and execute your, your access properly, the wind directions, the you know, the correct wind direction for the area you're in, you're going to see deer and they're going to do what they're supposed to do more or less. Um, on top of that, believe it or not, I actually had somebody recognize me, which was miraculous in itself, but recognize me from my YouTube channel in Jamaica while I was on my honeymoon. Um, long story short, we, we kind of hit it off and he had some property in Pennsylvania, not too far from me where he invited me to come scout a little bit with him uh, this summer. And then I ended up hunting with him a good amount this this past fall on a couple different properties and, and some public as well. Um, so Pennsylvania unexpectedly came into the fold. And then I also wanted to do a, an early September trip out west and I, I headed out to Nebraska. Um, the Nebraska trip, I had planned to go to a new area, I'd done a lot of research looking at their, uh, I don't know what they call them, DNR or wildlife department, Um, all the statistics that they posted online. I I ran through all the stats, picked an area and kind of had my sights set on a certain region and found out once I actually got boots on the ground that it was going to be a lot harder than I thought. So I basically hunted as far east in the state as you can go and as far west as you can go and ended up falling back on some areas that I'd hunted previous years.
0: And you said that was in Nebraska?
1: Yeah, that was Nebraska. And I actually, quick plug, I, I literally just posted the last video from that trip about an hour ago.
0: Really? I'm going to have to check that out myself. Um, so you, you said you hunted as far east in the state and as far west in the state in Nebraska. Correct. So like, how, how, did that happen? How, how did you get to that point? Just, just from some of those things you read on, on the, you know, DNR website or how, how did you end up doing that?
1: So the, the region of the state that I had planned to go was further east. Um, and that's where I did end up going. And I basically went scouted and hunted for a handful of days on the east side of the state and I, I got my butt kicked. There's just corn everywhere and I'm used to hunting mixed ag areas. I wouldn't consider Eastern Nebraska mixed ag. It's like 95% ag and then just little strips of woods. And what I was finding is the deer were just bedding in the corn and being 105 degrees out, they were basically not making out of the corn at all. And if they were, it was right at last light. Um, But a lot of times it was after light. And on top of that, to compound the, the problem of not being able to get eyes on any deer or very many deer, the ground, since it was, is a, I think, pretty good drought across a lot of the, the country this year. And the ground was just rock hard. There was not a track to be found. So as far as finding sign, the woods are a jungle. There's corn everywhere. So it's not like you can glass bean fields and, and glass, you know, some open areas to see deer. And then you can't see tracks. And after about three days or four days, I, I started working my way west. I basically drove towards the middle of the state got out of the corn belt and more into the sand Hills area. Um, there's a Nebraska is a cool state in that you can hunt a lot of different terrains, basically whatever you want, they have it there for you.
0: Yeah. So how many days total did you hunt in Nebraska and what month was that?
1: So they open up the, the, I think September 1st or September 3rd, one of those. Um, but I was there for, I hunted for nine, days and then you know add a travel day or two on each side of that but it was the longest solo trip I've ever done with myself by myself and uh it was it was tough but I I really enjoyed kind of doing the solo thing and basically all the all the decisions that I made were only mine I only had to worry about myself and uh I I I had a lot of fun. I encourage anybody who is out there, maybe you don't have a hunting partner, like don't be afraid to do trips and you can do it on a budget. I slept in the back of my Explorer. I camped a good amount. Um, you can do it without spending a bunch of money.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, you know, they, they, they say that getting a a hunting partner is like harder than finding like a, you know, like a life partner, like a husband or wife. And (laughs) it can't be more true. I think, I mean, I know, you know, you and I've talked a lot and you know, just the experiences that we've had. It's like, it's, it's hard to, you know, find somebody who's as selfless and, and, and just wants to see the other succeed. And it just creates this, you know, you're, you're, you know, there's both taking off time of work. There's money involved, like quite a bit of it. Typically, you know, everybody is driving across the country. It just, is. there's so many different things and having a good hunting partner is, is hard. And so I, I couldn't agree more. I like hunting by myself a lot too, just cause it's very, you know, you get to make all the, all the calls, you get to reap all the rewards. And, um, I, I couldn't agree more with that, but what was your, what do you think your biggest like learning point was from Nebraska specifically? You know, you, you, covered a lot of ground. It was, you know, tough conditions, drought. It didn't seem like there was a whole lot of opportunity with deer just hanging out in the corn. Like what was like the biggest learning experience if you were to go back, I guess, in
1: following years? That's a good question. I think for one, I definitely spread myself too thin. I, I don't know that I would have enjoyed it, but if I would have stayed on the east side of the state, I think eventually I would have gotten some deer. Um, but then again, as soon as I got to the west side of the state where it's more open country and you can use the glass a little bit to do your scouting, you don't have to just hike in the jungle. Mm -hmm. Um, I instantly got on deer, And pretty quickly got on some good bucks and, um, I, I just ran out of time at the end, but I think if I would have went to the Western side of the state from day one, I probably would have ended up killing. And I think if I would have stayed on the Eastern side of the state and just grinded it out, I, you know, who knows if I would have killed, but I I think I would have eventually got on something.
0: So like when you came home from that hunt mid September, first or second week of September, like where was your head at? Like, were you, I mean were you feeling like relieved almost that you, you had a really good experience that you went out and spent all this time trying to hunt or I mean, like, what, what was your like feel coming out of that?
1: So I walked away from it. I think it's kind of funny, at least for me, everything in hindsight, I really only remember the positives. So as bad as it sucked, I mean, it, it really kicked my butt. And there was plenty of times where I considered just going home. And, you know, getting back to Ohio, finishing up food plots here, you know, adjusting my last couple cameras before season opened up and, and kind of just gearing up for the rest of the fall. So I, I remember more of the positives than the negatives. Um, but heading, you know, getting back from that trip, I was, I was in a good headspace because I, I haven't really talked about it too much publicly, but I basically quit my job. Um, a week or two after i got back to pursue my my youtube channel and pursue my brand next step outdoors full-time so i knew i had a lot of time that i was going to be able to dedicate towards hunting the rest of the fall and i had worked extremely hard all off season to give myself as many opportunities as possible in michigan ohio and pennsylvania so although i i was unsuccessful on my early season trip to Nebraska. I still was super optimistic for the rest of the season. And I, I mean, I was naive enough to think that I would probably fill all, of, all of my tags in those three States and then go back to Nebraska at some point in the fall. That didn't end up happening. Um, but that's, that's kind of where my head was at.
0: Yeah. I'm really glad you came out and, and shared that too. Cause it's, it's, it's pretty wild. I mean, I feel like a lot of people want to want to do their passion and, um, It's, it's hard to, it's hard to really invest yourself when you have a lot of different, you know, your, your feet are in the water in a bunch of different places. And, um, I'm, I'm really excited for you and we don't have to talk about that whole bunch as much as you want, I guess, but you know, coming back, coming back from Nebraska, um, I do want to eventually get into some of these details on your property and some of the habitat improvements you've been doing on your place in Ohio. Um, but where, where, what did you do after that? When was the next time you went hunting when you got back from Nebraska? Um, you're kind of gearing up for the season over here. Did, did you go to Pennsylvania next?
1: No, I, Ohio opened up next. So Ohio opens up, I think, usually the last weekend of September. Um, and then Michigan and Pennsylvania opened up October 1st. So I uh, all, all summer and offseason, I'd worked. I ended up picking up a lease in Ohio, not super far from my house, and it's – a mixed egg area. And this is like a big river bottom section. Um, there's a lot of deer. I, I hadn't ran many cams. I didn't do any mineral. You can, you can bait and, um, feed in Ohio. I didn't run any minerals or anything like that, uh, all summer long. Whereas a lot of people do that just to get buck inventory. I, I really didn't run a lot of cameras just because of the time. Um, I was again, still working full time and trying to split my attention and time towards a million different things as well as getting married and you know settling in this house in Ohio that I bought. Um, but I did end up putting in probably a third of an acre food plot in this 65, 68 acre uh, section of, of uh, woods. It's mostly all cover. So I wanted a little bit of food. There is egg on a lot of the outside of it. Um, and just figured, if I put food in, it's just going to be a honey hole and I'm going to have this secluded little food plot and have my pick at whatever bucks in the area that I want. Um, that didn't end up happening. Uh, but as soon as I started running cams, probably two weeks before season, I got this, this really cool. He's, I think he's only a three-year-old, but he's a six by six typical 12 point, And I was like instantly hooked on this deer. Um, but he, I, I had pictures of him hitting these, secluded oaks and they're, they're red Oak acorns. There's not a lot of acorns on this property at all. And so the first, I think the season opener, I went in setting up to get after him and I thought I knew where he was bedding from some of my off season scouting. And the problem with what I was doing is even though it was private land, it was, it's basically still public. I hadn't prepped trees to get in because I didn't really know how the deer moved through the property. Um, aside from just basic scouting that I'd done. So, none of the trees were prepped and they're either all covered in poison ivy vines or they're just really thick covers. So, I only ended up getting about one stick up in a tree. And sure enough, right at last light, gear pops out behind me. I look and it's him and just see a giant rack and he's staring right at me. So, he, he picked me off immediately and I, he was on the weak side. I was in my saddle and there's no way I could even try to get a shot off and eventually he, he bust me. But his very first sit had an encounter with an incredible buck and um I was pretty pumped after that.
0: Oh, I didn't know that happened. So he you were only like what, five to six feet off the ground?
1: Yeah. I mean I I wasn't very high at all. Um and again it's it's early season so there's there's foliage and cover and stuff so i wasn't in a wide open but i i definitely wasn't super hidden and i'm six foot five 220 pounds and all my camera gear and stuff it's it's a lot up in the tree
0: <laughs> yeah so you th- that was the six by six for sure
1: yep 100 percent.
0: dang so how, how kind of give a little bit of reference like how big is this lease you said it's a river bottom like you you also mentioned in there like you, you something about not putting out mineral licks because a lot of people are. Is that do you do you think that has something to do with you being from Michigan and just having that feel like a little bit, I don't know, dirty, I guess? Like is that anything to do with that?
1: Uh a little bit, I would say. Um I I'm not against baiting by any means, but I wanted to, especially this first season, basically see if I could do it without putting out food. And I've talked to some pretty prominent industry folks from Ohio. And they basically told me that if your neighbors are baiting and you're not like, you're not going to have the deer. So basically if you're in an area where people are baiting, which is almost everywhere where I'm at, if you're not baiting, you're out of the game. I, I wanted to test that and see if I could just hunt, you know, I, I still put in food plots and I, I don't consider that baiting. I know some people do. I think it's way different, but um, yeah, it was a little bit of a pride thing um, as far as not wanting to. And and it was also a time thing. I probably would have ran some minerals if I just had more time to do it in the summer. And I, I probably will this year.
0: Yeah. No, I, it's something like, I always think about that here, like in Michigan, it'd be, I think it'd be really nice to get like inventory, you know, like throw out some corn and just like, see what comes in to kind of get, you know, the the different bucks that you want to target for the year and everything. But I, I completely understand why you would not want to sit over a pile of corn. Like it doesn't, it, something doesn't feel right about, I don't know. I, I'm not saying that it's wrong or anything like that. It's That's a whole debate in itself, but I, I completely understand your decision to kind of just see if, what you could do without it. So you also mentioned like, you know, you planted a food plot and it wasn't, was it not as successful as you thought it was going to be? Or did this did deer not come to this area as much or what what happened there?
1: Yeah. So it it came up pretty well. And when I say food plot, this property is like a winding river bottom that floods and it, the, the water level rises a lot and changes. So the river is always getting blocked up with log jams and then redirecting. So this, this property is like ever changing. Um, I did find one good, basically it's a giant river oxbow. That's probably a few acres and it's three quarters of of a mile back off of where I can access. I can't drive anywhere back there. So I'm basically from the road, I was taking out a backpack sprayer, a weed whacker, my seed spreader, you know, I was carrying hundreds of pounds of cereal rye and whatever else back there. And it, it, it about killed me. (laughs) Um, I I don't know if I'll do it again by myself. I'm going to have to recruit some help or figure out a way to get a, a, there's really no way to get a vehicle back there with how the property and the train is, um, I'll have to figure something out though. But, uh, it, it came up pretty decent and it was, it's like super secluded and it's surrounded by cover. And I don't know what it was that it just, isn't enough of a draw that the deer never they hit it occasionally and when they do it's like far and few between it's like maybe a button buck or or like two does will hit it. Um I don't know if it's just not on their normal travel path. I don't know. They're not even really hitting it at night. And I'm a little bit perplexed unless the only other thing I could think of is that and I, and I did a little bit of research and I'm not I'm still a novice as far as food plotting goes. But I read that if your, like, pH in your fertilizer, um, if you don't fertilize it properly, like, although it grows, it's not as, um, I don't know, palatable or it's not as desirable to the deer. And they, they won't eat it unless they – it's, like, the last thing that the, that's around. But, I mean, I planted brassicas, cereal rye, um, winter peas. I mean, it was – some pretty good stuff. And I, I did everything to specs and, you know, timed everything, what I thought was appropriate based on my research. And yeah, it, it, it didn't, it didn't produce like I hoped it would, as far as the deer movement.
0: Yeah, dude, I, this year I did my first food plotting ever. And I did like a, don't the domain, like their winter, you know, I had the brassicas and the turnips and all that. Um, and, in terms of like the plot being successful, they're very successful in like the growth, right? Huge, huge turnips and radishes in the in the plots and, and I'm talking like small micro plots, right? I mean not even a not even a quarter of an acre, not even close to that. Um, but I was having the same issue. So like behind my barn, maybe thirty yards, there's like a buffer of grass. And it's it's pretty tall, you know, it's five feet or so. But um, deer, you know, traditionally were coming into these trees and they were using them as licking branches and, 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 you know, scrapes and everything. And so this year I'm like, okay, I'm going to put a food plot, like kind of under that area. Um, and just see if that maybe just encourages deer movement through, you know, closer to the house. Right. I, I don't know why, but I wanted the deer to almost feel more comfortable up towards the house. And I didn't ever go back there, you know, in the evenings, I was just really giving it to the deer and, um, right now, dude, I mean, there's, there's very little, if any activity on that food pot. Like, you know how usually on the, the turnips and the radishes, they'll mow down that green, the tops, and then they'll come back in the winter and they'll eat the, the bulbs. But it currently is just luscious, long food plot. And I, I learned a lot this year. I'm not quite sure, um, what I learned, but whatever, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> like, I don't know if it was just cause it was so close to the house, but the deer didn't hit it. And so I was just curious, you know, to hear what, what you were, were seeing in the woods. I I just, I'm, I'm, I'm curious if it's the location of, of, of where we maybe put them or I don't, I don't know.
1: It's funny because I did the same thing. I have, I have five acres at my house, so it's not, you know, it's no giant chunk of land or anything, but it's enough to play around in. And I planted about a half acre, um kind of up on my house in an area that i i see deer pretty frequently and i put in a beautiful brassica plot and i mean i got some of them they're the size of a basketball and i know some people i think a lot of people would say that's probably too big and i planted them too early which may be the case but i also planted cereal rye and some other things and like they're all basically rotting in the field right now like Mm -hmm. deer aren't really hitting them they they would they do eat the greens. I see them out there a little bit, Um, but I would say ninety five percent of all the greens. And this is a high deer density area. Are you know they're now yellow, and I think they've frozen thawed enough times where they're kind of dead and starting to, I don't know, kind of just melt into the ground.
0: Yeah, yeah. Habitat work is a lot. It's a lot of fun because you learn. Like you know, obviously that didn't work, and now like I'm starting to think like that's probably not a spot to have a food plot you know what i mean like maybe that's where you want to put more cover and um seclusion all all these things so um not to not to go off on that tangent but i was just really curious when you said the you know you thought you were going to have the the pick of the litter of the deer coming through and it just didn't work out so um so what happened next you had that encounter with that that nice 12 point like what what was next in your season
1: yeah, I mean, I went back after him. Um, I'd actually talked to Andy May, who I know you've had on the podcast, and kind of picked his brain about what he would do. Um, he gave me some good advice. He said you basically you have to try again, and more than likely he's not going to come back anytime soon. But you got to try because that's all the intel you have to work off of. Um, never ended up seeing him. I think I hunted a couple other places in Ohio, and eventually went up to or went over to PA um, for the first time. And again, this was kind of like first time, uh, hunting that I've never been, I've never hunted Pennsylvania. I, I scouted it for a long weekend at the end of July when it was like hundred degrees. Um, I think I went October 14th, 15th, 16th, some somewhere in there. And, um, first sit was just on the edge of a kind of a fallow field. Um, it wasn't planted this year. There was a lot of weeds in it, but there's also, um, just a lot of clover growing up and, uh, I sat there and deer just poured out. it was unreal I think I saw like 11 different bucks and three that I would have for sure shot but I was just a little bit too far out of bow range um, but more or less i did it was more or less it was an observation sit I, I didn't really expect to be in Bow range of any of this deer I mean it's a i don't know 20 acre field or something like that it's pretty good size um, and then the next night I basically adjusted my position and slid down the field edge 30 yards. And had my shot at all of the bucks that I saw the night before that I would have wanted to shoot, and I shot at the biggest one at thirty yards, standing broadside, eating clover, and I shot right over his back.
0: <laughs> Ooh, that one that'll chap you.
1: Yeah, he was pretty good one. I would have been. I would have been pretty. He would have been my biggest with a bow. Um, but I. I don't know. I, I think I chalked up the the miss to just poor form um, i was shooting out of the saddle and i uh, was in a really awkward body position and i just don't think my my hips and shoulders were kind of in line like they should be when you shoot a bow and i i missed i just flat out missed and then he he came back actually and fed around at like 65 yards for the rest of the night so i got to sit there and watch him in this nice 10 point for the rest of the night just barely out of bow range
0: did you uh did you film that miss sure did did do you ever like do you go back and watch that often and just like sulk in that
1: (laughs) a couple times yeah yeah a few times yep
0: i had a similar occurrence this year and it it, it's tough because you work really hard for you know encounters and that's that's really the name of the game like getting encounters with you know mature deer mature bucks like getting into range is like that's that's the battle, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's the tough part usually, and making the shots, just, you know, finishing and closing the deal. And it really sucks. So I'm, I didn't, I didn't realize you missed one like totally broadside like that. So I, I feel bad for you, but.
1: Hey, don't feel too bad. Yeah. If anything, it's, it's, um, it lit a fire under me that this, this off season, you asked like headspace at the end of the season, I, I need to shoot my bow a ton. I want to shoot my bow. I want to get my bow out back out right now and shoot all winter, all spring, all summer um, and just be more than confident in my equipment and my abilities because, like you said, you work all season to maybe get one, two, you know, maybe three good encounters with shooter bucks if you're lucky. And to not put in the time to be able to execute in that moment is is just stupid. I mean, we, we invest so much time and money and blood and sweat and tears into this stuff. so you know, you got to be able to seal the deal and that should have been a, that should have been a gimme.
0: OnX is the number one GPS hunting app on the market. If you don't have OnX, I would highly consider trying a free trial where you can get access to all 50 states and all of the mapping features and tools onyx allows you to send waypoints to your buddies see public and private boundary lines and see where you stand in live time and also has a new weather feature that allows you to track weather and wind so you can stay on top of your game literally it's a no-brainer if you go on your computer not your mobile device to onyxmaps.com and use the promo code painted you will receive 20 percent off your elite or premium subscription know where you stand with onyx there's nothing I like doing more than hunting elk in the western states. One of the main challenges of hunting big game species in western states is actually getting a tag. Furthermore, it's actually understanding each state's drawing systems, which can seem like a chore to figure out for beginners. Go Hunt is a company that has figured out how to simplify this obstacle for basic folk like you and me. GoHunt offers a subscription service called the Insider, which gives you access to the most accurate draw odds, species breakdowns, and strategy articles out there. Before I started using GoHunt, I would spend hours filing through kill harvest reports and data sheets looking for a good unit to hunt in. And using the Insider has streamlined this process, making it easier and more efficient than ever before. This has allowed me to find a place to go hunt, hence the name. Visit GoHunt.com to find out more and to start a free trial with the Insider Subscription Service. Shoepex Sporting Goods in Jackson, Michigan has been in the business of selling outdoor equipment for over 30 years. They have over a thousand new and used guns and over 500 new bows for you to choose from. This family-owned and operated company goes above and beyond to make sure that you are taken care of when it comes to buying gear. Use the promo code Arrow 5 at the checkout and receive 5% off your entire purchase. Yes, that does include guns and bows, folks. Go down to Shoe Packs today. So, yeah, you miss, you come back from Pennsylvania. Um, what's next for you then?
1: I'm having a hard time remembering exactly. So basically my my plan for the season was to put as little pressure on all of my areas as possible. And I I did, I did utilize a good amount of cell cams this year. And I know some people like them. Some people don't. I like them. I think deer hunting is hard enough. I run a good amount of cell cams and I still have never killed a deer because of a cell cam. Um, I, I, know some people they'll post, you know, a picture of a deer going into an area and then they go hunt that same area and they shoot the deer. And, you know, I guess that could be kind of controversial, but I, I must suck running my cameras cause that's never happened to me. But, um, <laughs> bas- basically my goal was to leave, be as, as low impact on all of these areas as possible. So again, I, I, wasn't working a nine to five, so I had a lot of flexibility. My wife is awesome. And, um, you know we worked out some things where, where I could travel quite a bit. So I would go to Pennsylvania for three or four days and I would go over to Michigan for a couple of days. I'd go back to Ohio, you know, for a week or so. And I would just kind of rotate where I thought my, my highest odds of having an encounter with a buck that I was interested in shooting were. Um, so I bounced around all October. I had a couple other decent encounters with, with bucks I would have shot, but nothing super close. And, you know, there's the, the feeling that probably a lot of hunters have where all of a sudden November, you know, end of October, November's rolling around and you're like, all right, I'm, I'm still good. I have the rut to save me, you know, first week of October, first week in November, I'll just put in a lot of tree time and like, it's for sure going to happen. Like it's the rut.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Well, I, I sat dark to dark. Um, I think. Well, over 13 times between the the last couple of days of October and into November. Um, that was in multiple states, had very few encounters with even two and a half year old bucks. Um, and I was I was pretty perplexed. I was kind of getting down on myself and, and uh I was getting pretty discouraged, to be honest with you. And just just kept grinding it out. My dad ended up uh wounding that, that 12 point again, um, that I had seen not wounding again, but the the 12 point that I saw in the opener, he ended up hitting on November 5th or 6th and, um, just kind of a freak thing, um, kind of hit him in the back straps and the buck was fine. I, I had him on camera pretty recently still. Um, so that was like the only exciting thing to happen was my dad getting a shot at that buck, even though he didn't, seal the deal. Um, I just kept grinding it out, grinding it out. And eventually November 12th is the day that I punched my, my first tag of the season in Michigan at I think 1248 PM sitting all day between some dough bedding areas. 1248. Yep. So, you know, hitting those midday cruisers, um, I've, I've had a lot of success a lot of encounters um sitting all day i'm a huge advocate for that i know a lot of people the hunt the morning going and warm up and eat lunch or get down and scout um but man that middle of the day is when i see almost every one of my you know two and a half and older bucks during the rut time usually yeah. first thing in the morning and and last thing at night is just young bucks and unless you're sitting on the food source that all the deer are hitting usually all i see is young bucks early morning and and you know, evening.
0: Dude, there's nothing better. And I, I've learned this, like, I think everybody learns it, right? The all day sit is like, it's, it, it, in the beginning it's monotonous and then, um, you do it and then you you just get a couple of, of successes and just maybe good sightings. And that might be your success, but, um, it, it's just nothing better, man, than like a (laughs) fricking November 7th and you're out there and it's fricking 10 o'clock and just bucks, like every hour, there'll be like some type of a buck cruising through. And it's just like, you're sitting there and the wind's in your face and it's just beautiful. It's just a beautiful, beautiful time to be in the woods. So I know you're a midday guy, but what what was the, just the really quick and dirty of, of that deer and how that, that all went down?
1: Yeah, so I was, I was sitting on this, basically it's a, it's a big funnel. Um, there's a river that runs north and south and then on each side of that, River, there's about a hundred yard wide section of just kind of bramble and I call it like thicket style bedding. They're just I don't know pricker bushes and thick stuff. Um, and then on the outside of that is eggs. So there's really only this this narrow window for these deer to travel. And uh, I was on the far downwind side of this. Uh, you know, so the river's running north and south. The wind was blowing out of the east, and I'm sorry, out of the west. And I was on the far east side of this section. So, and the wind was blowing from where I was at into the ag field, which had just been chisel plowed. So it's not like there was anything the deer would be eating in there. So there's really no way for the deer to get around me. Mm -hmm. So it was really, it was bulletproof. Mm -hmm. And then within that spot, there's again, about a hundred yards of cover between me and this river. But within about 30 yards, there was a, a gate and the gate was closed, but it's, it's barbed wire. But the fence is bent enough where the deer just funnel right through this spot. It's amazing. Hmm. Um, so I sat there. I'd seen some does and fawns, you know, filter back into their bedding areas in the morning. And I, I was actually I'm, I'm editing this video right now. So it's, it's fresh in my mind. And I was watching some of the interviews of me talking. And that's, that's one thing that I think is so cool about filming your hunts is you get to like relive, not just, you know, the kill or you know, seeing the big buck, but like your actual emotions in the moment, um, is really cool to see. So I was like super bummed out. I was really disappointed. I mean, we were, we were into like mid mid morning and this was, it was pretty warm for the days leading up to this. And then it dropped like 30 degrees overnight. So it was November 12th, 30 degree cold front. And I just expected the deer activity to be phenomenal. And it was like, it was not good. I think I saw five does and fawns and a coyote and that was it. And, you know, some people might say, well, that's an awesome sit. I'm lucky to see a single deer, you know, I feel for you. This is a high deer area, high deer density. So, um, and I could see a good amount of ways. So like that, that wasn't super, you know, I was not happy with, uh, how the morning had been going. Mm -hmm. But again, I've, I've done this enough times where, you know, you just, if you, if you understand where deer bed and kind of how they travel and then you execute your access properly and the wind is right for you to be set up there. It, like you were just saying a minute ago, it's like clockwork. Like you, you just have to expect that at some point a good buck is going to cruise to that area. And I, I did see there's a two and a half year old buck that had kind of went through scent checking, you know. But he was he was cruising from one doe bedding area to another to scent check that. Um, so I'd seen him; that was cool. And then again, just kind of was hanging out, eating my peanut butter and jellies. And uh, at twelve forty ish, I see this this other buck in in one of the bedding areas. And he was just like on a mission. He was like sprinting basically right at that gate crossing in the fence and goes through. I, you know, I'm again, I'm filming, so I'm trying to get the camera framed up and whatnot. And like this, this buck is on a mission and he's, he's a eight point. He's, he had this like, I don't know what happened, if he was injured in velvet or how it happens, but I haven't seen it very many times, but he had like a curly G2. It kind of mm-hmm. like, Bends like an S and he was, he's a cool buck action encounter with him uh, a couple weeks before. Um, and at, again, at this point, I, I'm excited at any good buck. Um, we thought he was three and a half years old from, from the trail cam picture. So anyways, he's coming through and I met doesn't even phase him met met. I think I hit him three times before he finally stopped and I'm trying to get, you know, my pin settled on him. He starts taking off again. I think I tried to hit him one more time and he didn't stop. And I, it was kind of an hour or never. I let the arrow go, hit him just a little bit back, ended up basically just straight liver hit, which sucks. Um, I've I've done that before. I've, I've shot enough deer in different places to kind of know what happens. So I, I knew it was a lethal hit. Um, and I, I was using Rage Extremes and I, I got footage of after he was just, he stood there in the cover with a giant hole through his midsection. So I knew the, the buck was going to die, but I knew I was going to have to wait a while to try to recover him. Um, so basically, I was going to just wait until the next day. And after rewatching some of the footage on my laptop, I was like, man, there's a lot of blood coming out of this buck. And I tracked him that night. He ended up going on in the neighbors. So I waited till morning, called the neighbor to give me permission. And I found him dead in the river. I'm sure he died you know, pretty quickly after I shot him. But, um, but yeah, I was super, super stoked. I mean, I'd never worked so hard. I don't think to, to kill a buck. And then I, I dropped him off at taxidermist. He texted me and said, Hey, how old did you think that buck was? And I said, yeah, you know, from, from our trail cam pictures and everything else, we were thinking three and a half. And he's like, he is no younger than four and a half, maybe even five and a half. He just doesn't have as big of a body as." you might expect, but based on, like, the teeth where he he was pretty confident, he was a lot older than I I thought, so. That's a Michigan buck, too. Yeah, that was a Michigan buck.
0: Yeah, that's saying something. I mean, a lot of guys, I've had this conversation a lot, like, guys don't, if you're not from Michigan anyway, if if you're not from Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, or somewhere similar, like New York, or, like, it's – it's hard to understand how rare that actually is like to have like a four and a half, five year old buck, you know, like that's, that's just not, (laughs) we're talking about a lot of hunters out in the woods per, you know, square mile. So that is, that's wild.
1: Yeah, I was, I was pretty pumped. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a rare thing in Michigan. I mean, there's, there's good hunters out there that get it done every year with, with bucks like that, but man, it's, it's not easy.
0: (laughs) No, nowhere Nowhere near easy, so, we're. I mean, you worked. You you said last year, taking your words, was one of the worst hunting seasons you've had. You know, you're just coming out of that. What what day was that, Buck?
1: November twelfth.
0: So November twelfth. What what was your emotions like after that? Was it just like kind of a relief, or where where were you at?
1: Definitely a relief. Um, it's funny because you know you're you're sitting in the woods all day, and so are all your buddies, and you know you text them back and forth, and my, uh, one of my good friends, Jacob, he was out in Kansas and I think he was, they were getting their butts kicked and he, he literally texted me, aren't you sick of not shooting bucks? Like, you know, as a collective, like, you know, whatever. And I, I texted back said, I literally just shot one. He's like, no way. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, def- definitely relief. I mean, I was just super, super pumped and and grateful and, um, there's just, there's no better feeling yeah there's there's no better feeling
0: did you get all that on film too
1: yeah yep i got all that on film um so that's probably gonna be i'll probably post that video next week i think
0: i can't wait for that all right let's let's move on here um i'm really enjoying this by the way like your recap i mean we Devin and i do a recap almost almost after every every hunt together but you know just to get your thoughts i think it helps a lot of people just to kind of look at their season two and reflect. And so uh, I'm really enjoying this. So what, what, what happened next for you? So
1: what happened next? I, as I recall, um, so this would be, I think the 13th we, you called me or I called you and I was, I was, uh, dropping my buck off at the taxidermist and, or at the processor actually. And, As I was pulling out, I saw on on a property that I had permission to hunt, I saw a really nice eight point bedded down with a doe in the middle of this like cut bean field. Mm -hmm. So he had her locked down. And I think I told you, like, as soon as I get back from dropping this deer off, like I'm going to go try to kill this buck. And I got back. I could, I, I saw him still. He was actually, it was pretty cool. He was fending off another younger buck, um, you know, chasing him off who was trying to, to steal his hot doe. And I was able, where I was parked at, or where the the house was that I was parked at, was kind of a little bit elevated. And it's some rolling topography, so I couldn't see the whole property. But at that moment in time, I I could see the deer. And they were in a different place than I had spotted them when I saw them bedded down in the morning. So I had basically guessed that at some point, they're going to try to get back to where they were bedded in the morning. Because i had also seen them bedded there the day before. And I figured, okay, I've seen this buck two days in a row. I have to try to kill him the next day was the gun opener. And if I, if I thought he would have been there the next day, a third day in a row, I probably would have just waited and killed him with a gun because, you know, I, it would have been a pretty, pretty easy deal, Mm -hmm. but I was sitting there thinking and I was literally Googling like, how long does a buck stay with a hot dough? And they're like, you know, 24, 48 hours. I'm like, all right, like chances are, Tomorrow morning, the gun opener. Like this buck's not going to be here anymore with this doe. You know, he might be on the property still or with another doe, but he's he's not going to be doing this. I have to try to to do this. So I I waited until this buck and doe kind of dropped down out of sight, and I I got out and put on a ghillie suit and got a my buck decoy, which is just a it's a bow target, it's a shooter decoy or shooter bow target, and I basically cut the rack down because it comes as like 150 inch buck. I cut it down to probably like, you know, I don't know, hundred inch buck and, you know, grab my bow and my tripod and my filming gear and went sneaking into this field. And there's literally one giant tree in the middle of this field and just enough rolling Hills for me to kind of sneak around a little bit. So I figured if I could get to this tree, I'd be in a pretty good spot to, you know, set up a decoy and, you know, make something happen. So, I eventually get to the tree, set up a decoy. And after not too long, I see the buck and the doe like crest the hill. And I'm like, it's game over. Because at that time, at that time of season, when, when they're in lockdown, if they feel threatened or feel like a buck's encroaching on their area, like they could be super aggressive. And, you know, even in Michigan, you know, people think like you can't call the deer in Michigan and you can't decoy deer in Michigan. Like you can, you just got to know when and you know, how to do it. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I, I got the decoy set up. They're they crest the hill and they just look at it and pay no attention to it really. So I'm like, all right, I'm rattling. They kind of look up and don't really care. I'm snort wheezing at this buck. And they're probably two hundred yards away at this point. I mean, so they're still a good good ways off. Maybe maybe a little bit closer than that. And then all of a sudden they go out of sight and I'm like, oh man, they they left. So I'm sitting there for a while yet, and it was it was really quiet. So there's, there was no me sneaking around or moving positions. Once I was there, I was just going to sit there the rest of the day. And uh, eventually, I was kind of just glassing over that area, and I see ears, and I see the doe, and I'm like, oh, man, they just bedded down, or at least the doe is bedded down. I couldn't see the buck because they were they were just on the other they, – they were right on top of the hill, and-, and right when it started to drop off to the backside. So I, I kind of lost sight. Well, eventually I noticed that I could see this buck's rack and it just blended in with the the cut corn that he was in. So I'm like, cool. They're both bedded right there. So at some point they're going to stand back up and you know, something, something might happen. And every, I think they might've stood up a couple more times and every time I would, I was like, I probably snort wheezed at this buck like 20 times and rattled like five or six different rattling sequences and just could not get him pissed off enough to leave it, leave his dough. Mm -hmm. And in hindsight, I think the buck was just probably really tired from chasing bucks off for the last forty-eight hours, and he just had zero interest of trying to, you know, expend unnecessary energy to come over there and kick this buck. But, but eventually, you know, deer started coming out. It was kind of a feeding, you know, his game time um, evening, and the doe for whatever reason, I knowing what I know now it makes sense but she started to feed directly at the decoy and you know the bucks he 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 stayed behind the doe for the most part um and there was other deer too and they were kind of feeding in the general direction but the doe was feeding like right at the decoy
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I'm tucked behind the tree in this ghillie suit and I, I basically had took all the branches that had fallen off this tree and tried to brush in as much as I could without making, again, it was dead silent. So when I was out there, everything's crunchy. It's like crunchy dried corn stalks and stuff. So I, I didn't make a lot of a, of a blind, but enough where if I wasn't moving and I was tucked into the tree, like I was pretty, pretty safe. Anyways, the doe gets within probably 50 yards of my bow target. And I think eventually she got a little skeptical that was actually a deer because she starts doing the whole like looking up and down like you know really yeah. checking him out like mm, something's not quite right and she starts like kind of walking towards him quicker like investigating like they do when they pick you off in a tree Yeah. well the buck i think at that point got pissed because the doe was like going to the buck so all of a sudden this he's probably he's a three and a half year old you know, maybe 125 inch eight point in Michigan, which is like a really, really solid buck for the area I'm in. Mean, um, starts you know he postures up and he comes just stomping right in. And this whole time, I mean, this whole event took place over like a, an hour from the time that they stood up the last time and and to when they got to where they were right then. Mm-hmm. And they were feeding towards me that whole time. So I hadn't moved. And eventually, I kind of fit, was hoping that he would just be so locked on this, this bow target decoy that I'd be able to raise my bow and get a shot. Well, all of a sudden, he's coming in hard and fast. And I'm like, crap, I got to get my bow up now. So I, I reach for my bow, which was just like across my lap. And he freezes and looks at me. And the doe freezes and looks at me. I'm like. Oh boy. So I, I just, I, I didn't move. He eventually looked back to the decoy. Well, the doe took off. She, she was on me and you know, he, she wasn't preoccupied by the decoy like the buck was. So she bust out of there and the buck took notice and he was about to, so I drew back. And even though he was looking at me, it was like an hour and everything. I draw back, I'm getting my pen settled and he basically bolts and I, I took a shot. I shouldn't have he, I I shot right over his back at, you know, 25 yards, but, uh, I was just like, even though I missed, I was so pumped up just that I had the encounter and that, you know, I, I saw this out of the box opportunity that, you know, I don't know many people that would throw on a ghillie suit, crawl into the middle of a cut cornfield and try to decoy a buck in Michigan. Mm. And I did it and it worked and I screwed up, but you know, it worked and I was super, super pumped.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's what it's really all about too. Like I, I see you making those moves and like not, not being afraid to fail. And that's, that's really where growth is, right? I mean, that's, you, you, you learn so many things from that, that I know if you're in that situation again, you know, you, you'll, you'll play it different and that's, that's so cool. I'm, I'm sure you got a little bit of that on film, right?
1: Oh yeah. I, I actually ended up surprisingly got really, really epic footage, even though I was self-filming from the ground you know, with really no cover, but yeah, I, I I learned a lot and I would have set up a lot differently, but you know, hindsight's 2020. And until you have put yourself in some of these scenarios and and have those experiences, like there's no way of knowing that. So, um, yeah, get aggressive and make mistakes. It's a lot of fun, frustrating, but, you know, if I would have just sat back on the edge of a woodlot, hoping that, the doe would come by me like they wouldn't have. And, you know, I would have been sitting there watching them in the middle of the field the whole day.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's going to be, I don't really have any new year's resolutions, but it's been like on my mind a lot that I need to have like some type of a decoy, whether it's one that goes on your bow or, you know, just using like a target buck, like you were saying. Um But like it out in, in my property here, you know how it is. it is. It's a lot of open ground and it's rolling CRP grass. And, I've found myself two years in a row now thinking in d- different situations, like, God, if that, if I would have had a decoy with me right now, like this would be the opportunity right, right now. Um, and obviously, like you said, it's, it's very dependent on the buck and the time of year and everything that's going on in that very moment. But, um, no, I'm, I'm excited to see that that's, that's what's pretty cool for people listening. Like at the end, I'm going to, you know, let you plug your YouTube video channel and, Um, but like everything you're talking about, you got on film. So that's pretty cool, um, for anybody listening. So, all right. So, yeah. So what's next now you, you end up uh, missing that beer.
1: Yeah, we'll get through them pretty. I won't, there's not too many other stories that I'll, I'll go into super detail, but basically the next night or the next morning was the gun opener and I figured, well, I got to try to see if this buck comes back out. Even if he's not with that doe, he broke off that doe, he'll be with uh, with another one. Because after I missed, he basically ran over to this little five-acre woodlot and was, you know, just feeding again. So I didn't spook him too bad. Um, so gun opener happens. I gillied up again with the gun, snuck in, and... Um, just tried to catch him coming back through this, uh, pasture going back to bed. Um, and if, if you remember, it was like, at least where I was, it was like a complete blizzard in, in Michigan, yeah. Southern yeah. Michigan. Um, I saw a couple deer, but it was pretty uneventful. Um, and then in the evening I basically went out to the same spot, but I got up in a tree so that way I could have a little more range shooting wise. And it was just like freezing rain and sleet and stuff all night. And, um, right at the end, the closing time, all the deer poured out, there was basically where those deer were feeding to that I, the one that I missed and the dough, like all the deer that I saw the night before, when I missed, they were heading to this little patch of like, I think I'm guessing it was cereal rye that the, the farmer had planted as a cover crop. I mean, these deer were walking straight across a cut cornfield without barely feeding to get to this, this green field. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. It was really cool to see. And that's, I guess, another thing that I'm trying to be a lot more cognizant of is paying attention to food sources. I mean, even when you're driving down the road and you see a bunch of deer out in the field, like you could either just say, Oh, there's deer. You can really try to like, okay, they're, they're inside some type of like cereal grain field or they're in cut corn, like pay attention to that stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: So anyways, I I got up in a tree hoping to catch deer coming out of this woodlot again, crossing over this cut corn field, going to that, that cereal rye or winter. I don't know what it was. Um, and deer just poured out, no bucks So And so right at last light, I see this giant buck and I, see, I, it was a different buck for sure than the one that I missed, but I thought it was this big 10 pointer that we had on camera just a couple times. And so I'm, I'm like frantically trying to get in position to shoot this buck. And I picked this crazy multi-trunk tree and I was like falling out of it half the time because. I just set up super awkward, but decided I wasn't sitting very long and I'm gun hunting. So whatever it will be easy to to do. And so I'm trying to get in position. And basically I, I needed him to get to the left side of the tree so I could use the tree as a gun rest and, you know, take a crack at him. And he dropped down into this river bottom to get a, it. was probably not even a river. I would call it like a drainage Creek, it's just kind of like a grassy Creek running through a pasture get it he was going to get a drink i saw him chasing some does prior came over to the the creek was drinking and i just needed him to walk out to the other side of that where all the other deer were and i'm just waiting and waiting and waiting staring at this creek for probably five minutes and all of a sudden i look up and he's like a hundred yards the opposite direction like he had he'd already crossed through the creek and was like well on his way to being where all the other deer were and i just completely missed him visibility was bad it was getting to be lower light and i just flat out missed him and my hands were literally so numb but <laughs> i get the crosshairs on this buck and just as he he kind of like hits the skyline and there's a house right behind him so i you know didn't shoot obviously and at that point he was a little bit further anyway than i would have felt comfortable taking a shot um so i was You know again it was like man i'm just squandering these opportunities you know obviously november 12th had a had a successful hunt and then it's either the the, i think it was the 14th was when i uh i missed the buck with a decoy and then the 15th you know basically i i was holding a rifle and you know nice buck well within range and i somehow didn't shoot him
0: (laughs) yeah yeah well i mean (laughs) it's it's kind of good that you you realize was a house behind it because it's like really easy to get zoned out in that moment (laughs) oh yeah oh geez so that's all in michigan
1: yep that was all in michigan and i think at that point i i decided like hey I, i live in ohio and have some sweet places to hunt there i should probably not spend all of november in michigan all my friends were like what are you doing dude Like we all leave Michigan for the entire rut for a reason, but I was on some, you know, some, having some cool hunts and, you know, I was having fun. So I, I was, uh, hanging out hunting in Michigan.
0: So if I know, if I know you, right. You moved down to Ohio and I'm sure that you have expectations about the deer hunting in Ohio and you have a lot of maybe angst about getting it done there. Am I right?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I I mean, I had my expectations for Ohio are a lot different than Michigan In Michigan. Basically any three and a half year old is a solid buck for the areas I'm in. And I'd be ecstatic to shoot in Ohio. You know, I don't, it's not like I have a ton of giant books hanging on my wall. So, you know, I I probably would have picked up my bow and let one fly at a a lesser buck, but going into the season, I was really, my goal was to shoot a 150, which is a very good buck for (laughs) anywhere in the country.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So your lease was your, that's your primary hunting spot down there, right? Like I know you have your property um, behind your house and I've actually seen some pictures of some deer that aren't half bad um but you're mainly hunting on this lease, correct?
1: Yeah, I, there's some public spots that I I have scouted out. I didn't really hunt them a lot. Um I didn't hunt the the small area behind my house at all. Um most of it most of my Ohio season was dedicated to to that property.
0: Yeah. So tell me tell me about this this buck at, at the end of the year here and the hunting season for um I'm sorry for the the rifle season shotgun yep. season give me, give yeah. me the before it into that give me the details of it because that's i think that's one of your uh more spectacular stories that i've heard this year
1: definitely yeah so so my ohio season again i had super high hopes i i ended up getting this lease and figured that any private land in ohio probably will provide booner bucks and you know put in food plots and scout and run cameras and like it's a for sure thing well and again i I wasn't baiting i wasn't running minerals and stuff in the off season like basically from summer until even most of the rut i really just had two bucks on camera that i would be interested in shooting and it's not because i have super high standards like it's not like i even had that many good two-year-olds or three-year-olds running around But basically, I had that that 12 point that I'd seen earlier in the season, which I also had another encounter with him, um, I think November 1st, and he basically came in before shooting white and winded me, and that was that. And then there was this big nine point, and the nine point was like, in my opinion, more mature than the 12 point. They might have scored similar to each other, but the nine point had a much bigger frame than the 12 point, just less points. Um, but that nine point was, I probably only had a handful of pictures of him all through season. Most of them were at night. So he wasn't, it's not like he was a resident buck. Whereas that 12 point was on that camera in daylight, almost all season long. And I, I don't know how I didn't kill him. Um, and I, it's not like I had a ton of opportunities to. I never saw him, you know, sitting all day and, you know, even far away. But anyways, I was pretty bummed out at the lack of bucks because I figured this big chunk of cover in egg country, like I just have mature bucks cruising through there all November. Well, that wasn't the case. Um, so here we are all of a sudden it's November 28th, which is the gun opener in Ohio. And I, I don't think I'd even been getting many pictures, but you know, it's the gun opener. So you got to go sit. And it was the night before the gun opener. And I was sitting there at my house, you know, trying to trying to reverse engineer what time I had to wake up in the morning to get to my spot and get set up and get on my camera gear in the tree. <laughs> yeah. i have been there. there.
0: I've been there on the reverse yeah. engineer. You're like, ah, it's, yeah, it's rough.
1: It's rough when you're, uh, doing the hanging hunts and, and filming and stuff. It's just a lot of, a lot. It takes a long time, but I was sitting there like, man, probably not even going to be worth it. Like just don't even bother going. It's going to be super cold. Like, just, just go in the evening. Like, it'll be fine. And I was like, no, it's the gun opener. You gotta go. So I wake up at I think four in the morning or whatever it was way too early, drink my cup of coffee and I'm kind of sitting there. And again, I'm sitting there talking myself out of it. Like, man, just, just go back to bed. I know you just drank a cup of coffee and you probably won't sleep anyways, but your bed's nice and warm. Like, it's probably not going to pay off to go hunting. Like, stop it. Like I have to go. It's the gun opener. I'm not a giant gun hunter but you know the gun opener is is still a fun thing. So anyways I I climb up in the stand and it's you know it's kind of hard to describe what it is but basically it's kind of flanking a big doe bedding area and you know it it's a pretty bulletproof um setup with a west wind because i'm i'm somewhat close to the property line and then the neighbor is it's just like pasture and then it gets into like their actual yard and stuff so like the deer are not going to go downwind to me because they're going to be in the wide open Mm -hmm. so if they if they funnel through here like i'm gonna see them so in the morning i saw a handful of does and fawns and and then like mid-morning i uh I'm trying to, I was, I'm trying to recall exactly what happened, but basically like, I mean, it's wide open. It's, you know, there's no leaves on the trees and I'm way up high in this tree so I can see the neighbor and I can see him, you know, dressed up like a a pumpkin in his orange jumpsuit standing on the porch of his house. And this is probably like 10 in the morning, gets on his side by side and drives right down the property line and parks it like a hundred yards from me. No problem. Whatever walks into the woods. And I'm still pretty confident. I guess I, I won't even go there. Uh, but anyways, he walks into the woods at, you know, 10 in the morning, 1030 in the morning. And I can see him through the woods. So he's just like sitting there in a lawn chair. And I'm like, I'm for sure not going to see anything now. You know, it's it's mid-morning. It's been pretty slow already. And I wasn't planning on sitting all day. But I was, you know, probably going to give it till noon or whatever. And uh, I had packed up my bags already had taken down my camera gear. And I, I heard a doe bleat, like a very distinct doe bleat, like two or three of them. And it, it wasn't from the direction of the hunter. So it wasn't him with a can call. I'm like, Oh man, I, I should get my camera back out and just wait another, you know, sit another half hour. So I, I set back up and, you know, I probably sat there another 15 minutes. And all of a sudden I see this giant rack at like 60 yards through some brush and he's just cruising up this trail. And I, I didn't know what buck it was, but he was like probably one of the biggest bucks I've ever seen in person. And he, it, it's it's pretty thick where he was walking and he hits this one little gap and I stopped him. And I, had, I was sitting in a tree stand, I had a, a monopod and my Bushmaster 450 and I shot. And deer takes off and you know kind of heads honestly towards that other hunter who's like right on the property line and i'm like freaking out because i don't know where i hit this buck it's not like bow hunting where they're at 30 yards and you you know you shoot a glowing knock through them right my video footage was not super ideal because it was like i basically had my camera zoomed all the way out because i didn't know i just i was worried about shooting this deer more than i was filming so i just had it wide as wide as it could go and then shot. So I, I did get some footage of it, but I really had to like zoom in and it was kind of hard to determine where I hit it, but it looked like I, I definitely made impact is all I could tell. Mm -hmm. So I waited 45 minutes or so and I climbed down and I'm looking for blood and I'm just like terrified that if, you know, these are all like smaller woodlots and immediately after I shot, probably like a minute later, I heard four or five shots, not on the immediate neighbor's property, but the property over. So all I'm thinking is this buck, I hit him, I wounded him, he ran and he just booked it. And then one of the neighbors just, you know, finished him off and Mm -hmm. I'm never gonna see this buck again. Well, I climbed down, couldn't find blood for like 45 minutes because the perspective from being up in the tree is way different than when you're actually down on the ground and all this thick brush and grass that looks a lot shorter when, and, and you know just exactly what i'm talking about because i know what your property looks like like yeah. once you get down into the stuff it's like it's really difficult to actually see you know to to see things
0: it's stressful honestly like that yeah and you even said it like it it's with a with a bow like you're a little closer and, and you know you you're filming we, we film with the the mag pro, and it's with a gun like you shoot at 50 60 70 80 yards and it's like it's really stressful in that moment so i i i know exactly what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. And the shot was probably, this was probably about a hundred yards. And, uh, anyways, eventually I, I find blood and he just, he was in a completely different spot when I shot him versus what I saw. And even though I was looking at the, the video footage that I had taken and trying to like decide where he was based off where he was standing in the video frame, like I couldn't figure it out. Finally did found blood and it looked really good. Well, this whole time that I'm down there looking for blood, this neighbor who's right on the property line is like standing up, like looking at me. Like he was, you know, he was pretty close to me. So um, I'm like, well, I better go talk to this guy cause I, I'm gonna end up tracking towards him anyways. So I go talk to him. I I'd never met the guy before. He was super nice. And you know, I asked him if he was the property owner next door, which he was. And he asked who the heck I was. Cause you know, he, for all I know, I'm just somebody trespassing on this piece of property. Um, anyways introduce myself and he's like was that you that shot and i said yep and he's he said well your buck's laying right up here i i saw him go down and i'm like no way you know because at this point i'd found blood but still wasn't like super sure what happened right so he he comes with me and you know we walk up uh you know walk up on this buck and it's just this beautiful you know 150 inch nine point and i'm just like i i uh i I really had to contain my freak out a lot more than I would have just because there's like a stranger with me. And, you know, I don't want him to think I'm just completely nuts, but we, we crested the little rise at where he was and uh, the neighbor said, Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I just kept saying, wow, that is an awesome buck. And he snapped a couple of cell phone pics with me and he had to, he had to go. Cause I think he had cows out of his pasture or something. so I, I gladly spent the rest of the, the day you know dealing with him and dragging him out and whatnot and i i mean i'm literally staring at the the picture of him on my desktop background right now and it's i'm still super stoked on it
0: yeah dude i mean <laughs> i think that's like one of the most unique like you're experiencing your biggest buck with a stranger and
1: i it, it, that was pretty strange <laughs>
0: <laughs> like I, I think there's some beauty in that though like in a weird way like I, I didn't I didn't get to read the guy, you know, his personality or his, you know, his expressions or whatever, but you know, like you're both in the woods for the same reason. I bet you that guy wouldn't go out and sit in the lawn chair for any other reason for any other day of the year, right? He's probably there for that day. Yep. And I don't know. I just think that that's like a beautiful story. Like it's just a random guy. You just you don't even know him and and uh you walk up on this deer together and you almost gotta contain yourself. Like I I just love that. I love that part of the story a lot. Yeah, it was,
1: it was pretty cool. I mean, i I'd, I'd been wanting to introduce myself, you know, I, I like to meet all the neighbor property owners just uh, you know, just so they know I'm out there and, you know, kind of keeping tabs on things and, you know, just to have a respectful relationship. And, uh, you know, I still like hadn't, I, you know, I got access to this property, not super long before that, and just hadn't made my way over there to say hi to him. He's got a really long driveway back to his house and was kind of intimidated anyways to go back there. Mm -hmm. So it was a, it it was I I couldn't think of a better way to to meet him.
0: (laughs) Right, right, right. No, that's awesome, dude. I mean, like you said earlier, I mean, 150 inch type deer is a, is a good deer just about anywhere you go in in this country and in the world. And that's uh, I I know you were really wanting to get after one in Ohio and and just to see it all come together at, at the, that's when it always happens. I mean, when you're, when you're least expecting it, when you're like trying to force yourself to to go in the woods and you're like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to see anything. And you put your camera gear away. Like, of course that's when it happens. I mean,
1: exactly. It's funny. Cause in the video, I, I had multiple cameras on, so it, it'll work out. But my main camera, um, there's no audio because the mic was turned off. Cause I'd already put it away and forgot to you know turn the microphone back on. So that's uh, all right though. So you said
0: that that doe bleated like it was it like a multiple bleats in
1: a row that you heard? Yeah, there was two and I never saw that doe. Um, And I, I still not quite sure exactly like where that buck came from, what he was doing. Um, You know, he might have, I don't know if he was with that doe and then left her. I, I really don't know, to be honest. I do know when I was tracking, when I was wandering around looking for blood, I heard an animal, which I was assuming was a deer like in the brush, kind of in the direction that I heard the the bleat, which is also the direction the buck came from originally. So he, he might've been with her or maybe he was just, he heard it, came cruising through and you know, maybe she wasn't an estrus, So he just kept cruising. Um, but it, it was interesting. And, and again, you, every time you have an encounter with a mature buck, you kind of have to ask yourself why he did what he does because like, very unless you're in some crazy property in, in an amazing state like you don't have very many opportunities to observe the, them and if you are you're probably trying to kill them so right um you know you don't always get time to like study them and, and notice their patterns. so I've been trying to figure out what exactly he was doing and the only thing that I can make sense of is the trail he was walking on is basically a trail that all the all the does would have had to cross going from the ag fields to their bedding. So he was basically walking to intersect their trail. And, you know, if he came across the, the hot dough and smelled it, he would have probably pursued it. Um, but that way he could efficiently scent check all of the, you know, that do- whole doe family group that was in that area. He could scent check all of them just by walking up this one trail. That's, that, that's the best explanation I could come up with for why he was on the trail that he was.
0: Yeah. And it's like you got to ask yourself too, like, is, is this, is this buck going to be doing this at any other time of the year? Maybe, maybe not, maybe (laughs) like, right. So like it's, the rut is so powerful and and that time of year, like that's, that's late, that's considered late season, you know, as far as, you know, where I'm from anyway, like November 28th, that's, that's late in the year. So that's just wild. And what time was that you said?
1: That was, I think like 1045. So again, getting to that, midday period of time and you know it it definitely wasn't like the initial morning movement it was that buck was may or may not have been bedded down and got up after you figured all the other deer were bedded down you know these, these mature bucks everything is about being efficient yeah so they don't get out and chase those around like the young bucks do like they wait until they bed down like in the in the mornings i'll often observe like a field full of does and then like a year and a half or two and a half year old buck, just like mindlessly chasing them around. Yeah. The big ones aren't doing that. They're bedded down and they're going to wait until all those does filter back to their bedding areas. And then they're going to scent check them, find a hot doe while they're bedded down and they're you know, laying down, not moving. And then they're going to try to do their thing. But, um, but yeah, yeah, I think it was kind of that mid morning action.
0: For sure. I, I really, uh, yeah, I think we'll take. You have to send me a, a photo of that deer. You probably already have, and I need just need to save it. But I'll I'll post that for this this podcast release, and that'll be kind of what everybody sees. So, um, I I really have enjoyed like listening to the whole recap of the year, and I I think this is valuable not just for everybody else, but also for you, Aaron. Like going back, I can't tell you how many times like I've gone back and listened to like my annual review of like two years past like it's just like you hear yourself talk and um i just think it's super valuable to put it all into a podcast and so i really appreciate you doing that for us and our and our followers and everything like that so um do you uh, why don't you quickly um plug everything that you're doing and where people can find those videos and um anything you want to do
1: definitely yeah i appreciate you having me on it's always an honor to get invited on and um, I don't consider myself an expert by any means, but my goal is to basically help people shorten their learning curve and, and maybe avoid a lot of the mistakes that I've made, um, have a lot more success a lot sooner. And that's kind of what my channel is dedicated towards. Um, I share my, my hunts on there. I also share a lot of like hunting tips and gear reviews on there. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm constantly tinkering and trying different things, and I like to share what works and what doesn't work. Uh, But my YouTube channel and my Instagram are both Next Step Outdoors. Um, So check me out, give me a like and subscribe and, uh, you know, leave me a comment. Let me know you you listen to this podcast. But if you guys ever have questions, I I love uh, conversing about hunting. So if you want to shoot me a message, I've had people um, email me sections of maps that they, you know, properties they've got access to. And I'll give them my thoughts or how I would go about scouting them and attacking them. Um, I'm not always right, but, you know, maybe it'll help you give you a starting point or a different perspective. I'm, I'm always open to helping people out.
0: I love it, man. And I, I'll just vouch for you, Aaron. I mean, you're one of those guys that's like out there doing it. You know what I mean? It's, it's not easy to travel all around and, and hunt and film your hunt and do all these things. And, um, yeah, I mean, you're out there doing it and it's, it's awesome. I, I love to watch your stuff and I appreciate it again for you coming on. So, go check his stuff out everybody uh, appreciate you listening along and until the next time we'll see you thanks
1: a lot